Um, could the same thing, could the same case be made for the president? Does the president have too many responsibilities? Are we empowering one individual too much? And if we are, would we ever think about like becoming more granular in the type of person that we elect? Because geez, it seems that it'll be like a cultural revolution every new president we elect. Yeah. Do we like that? Do we want that? We could change that. Like we well, could make it less important. Do we make it seem like they're more important to the than water park? Ready, set, go Sketty. Ready, Sketty. Ready, Sketty. Ready, Sketty. Uh, still need to make go Sketty one of these days. Gotta make go Sketty. I think I need to get a. You remember those? It's like a vacuum sealer for food. Yeah, the food saver. Food saver. Yeah, maybe I need to get a food saver and. Start making go sketty just in like my own little tubes that I made, and then start sharing them with friends. And then once it blows up and gets big, then I'll invest in you know a real tuber. I think that's the way to go. I think you always got to start in a way that feels like really homemade. Homemade and also just low risk. Low risk. You can't be paying like this was actually a mistake I started to make with Foam Bakery. Is I tried to like become too professional too fast. Mm. Not to say I ever got very professional, but like I thought I needed official boxes and stickers and needed to have all these different varieties. And like I think I should have just started selling foam donuts on an Instagram and not, I didn't even need a website. And because ship them in a Ziploc bag. Ship them in a Ziploc. Exactly. Because it's like. It gets really complicated the more layers you add to it. It was fun to learn all that stuff. Like I set up a Shopify website and I had like my orders and I had my stamps.com and I could print and deliver like all you from home. Official. Yeah. Stamps.com? I mean, it was an integration with Shopify. You know, oh. they have all those partnerships. So that makes it easy. Yeah, it makes it easy because they print, they send you, they send the label and then you print it off at home and just slap it on the box and then you drop it in a mailbox hmm. and it goes. This kind of gets me into a question I have for you. Yeah. What are your hobbies? What are my hobbies? Because I've, I've known you for, how long have I known you for now? Eight uh, years or something? Yeah, since 2013. Seven years. So for seven years, I've known you, and when I first met you, you had this hobby that was music. Mm. You, you were producing music, you were DJing, and maybe you even fizzled out of DJing and just got into like, I just want to make music. Uh, there was also a hobby of like throwing house parties, but it was all kind of centered on music. Right. What are your hobbies right now? Now I am a houseboy. Ah, you like doing yard work. Oh man. I like the idea of the potential of my yard. Hmm. And so that keeps, I mean, I just bought a house last week, so this is probably like a duh. Like, of course, the week you buy a house, you're busy with house stuff. Prior to the buying of the house, my hobbies are like, I have too many hobbies. I got way too many hobbies. I mean, my hobbies were like designing card games. I really like using Adobe Illustrator, even though I'm not like a designer by any means. I just really like using it. I like. I designed an entire card game that basically I never even decided how it would be played mm -hmm. just because I was enjoying designing cards. Do you think that it's easy for you to have multiple hobbies at the same time like you say you have lots of hobbies but yeah when i think of you i think you get hyper focused on one hobby at a time but yeah. it might only last a week or yeah. two or maybe three months or maybe you revisit it but i think i'm cyclical yeah so sure. i think i like even music it's not a dead hobby it's just not active yeah but i still like every three, four months, I'll pull out Logic and start making a beat, and then I'll get consumed by it for a week, and then maybe burn out. But, like, yeah, I, 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 I get obsessed, and then I put things aside. The board game's a pretty classic example, too. Like, got obsessed last November, and two November, wait, a year and a half ago, got obsessed, built that board game, set it aside, and then in the last two months, dug it up again, Started working on it, played it a few times. So I think for me it's cyclical. Like I don't think I drop things dead forever. I think I I just need space to like... It's essentially writer's block where you lose that creative passion 
And the way that I get through that is by kind of uh, like lane switching. And then I can come back and I have fresh ideas. And So I think for me, it's best to have kind of a circular rotation of things that I like doing. And then like for an entire three to six months, it might be Minecraft. What do you have in the pipeline for hobbies? Hobbies that you haven't, have not yet dug into, but you're excited about eventually digging into. What do I have? Yeah, what do you got in the pipeline? What's in right the works? Right now? Right now. What do I have in the works Is there something, right now? is there a hobby or something that you've been like wanting to get interested in or wanting to get like uh, really involved in, but just haven't had the time or anything? That's a pretty dang good question. Not the... Not that you need to have, like, hobbies, future hobbies thought out. Yeah, I don't know that I... I don't know that I have. Something you just haven't had time for? There's, like, things that I want to go back to, but not, like, mm-hmm. things that I think are completely new. Like, I want to start Foam Bakery up again. Like, I don't want that to be dead. I'll, I've, like, thought about the shed in my backyard... Making that the foam bakery. The factory. Yeah. Like, I have plenty of room in there. Set up a couple tables. I can make donuts. All day I could be out there making donuts. Just a little sweatshop. I would love that. Put Lily to work. For like three months, it was my job to make those. Yeah. Some of the best three months of my life. I would go to the warehouse every day. It wasn't just donuts. It was pancakes, waffles, and then there was a bunch of other stuff that we were doing in preparation for all of breakfast. But a lot of it was donuts. And I had so much fun. I would go back there, just pour different colors, experiment with it. Oh, man, I loved it. Definitely uh, let you itch that creative. Yeah. Scratch that creative itch. But you know, like, the combination between creative and, like, physical, tangible output? Mm Mm-hmm. There's something super satisfying about that. So that's to me, was so satisfying about like what you've been doing like yard work and stuff because you can kind of see a before and after but also be creative with how you're doing it like you're completely redoing your backyard like last week you were given this i won't call it a blank slate because it was anything but a blank slate it was like had weeds over here and bushes over here and dead grass over here and a shed and you've decided to like reform the backyard into something that's like better for you and your family uh that's so much fun yeah it's fun it's fun and it's also very rewarding yeah like it's rewarding during the process of like seeing the progress that's being made but it's also rewarding at the end being able like ah i did this and now i can go play basketball in my backyard right or i can go uh maybe you put in a garden and you're like i can go harvest the garden things like that i think are so rewarding do you know it's a dangerous trap I completely agree with you. Like, I think you're built, even though it's work, I've exhausted myself the last few days working on stuff, so is my wife. You're built to do that work, and it is what you derive the most satisfaction from. So in a way, it's like the joy and the fruit of life to work yourself to those productive ends that you're able to step back and be proud of, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the joy and, you know, like, fruits of life to sit back and be lazy all the time. No. We only enjoy leisure and laziness as a relief from work. It was like, we get it twisted sometimes, I think. Definitely. Like, I, I think the journey is the beautiful part. Right. Like, yeah, it's fun to, after going through the journey, being able to see what you've done and created. But if you were just given the creation at the end you know, that would not be very rewarding. No. And, like, yeah, this is, like, so trite and, like, cliche. That that chair, by the way. I put Carter in the booby trap chair that the leg's just getting ready to snap on Oh, oh, I had it a little tilted (laughs) in. But, yeah, it's, it's like, so cliche to say the joy's in the doing, It's you got to find joy in the journey. Right. It does sound super cliche. But here's the thing. Like, you, we crave a journey to somewhere. And then sometimes we get so focused on where we're going to be 
that we forget that really what we crave isn't the destination, it's the journey. Like, we are obsessed with making progress. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder, like, how unhappy we'd be if we ever, like, achieved perfection. Because we're just not even... And, like, this is maybe the myth of perfection. There may not be such a thing, right? It's like an ideal. Like, it's unattainable. Yeah, perfection is not a... Is not a stagnant state yes it's perfection is like progress yeah maybe that's a good way of defining perfection perfection is progress yes and maybe it's a i think spiritually and religiously you could think of perfection as being a state in which you've rid yourself of unfit like or un un holy desires mm-hmm. maybe you do achieve that. maybe you do achieve that at some point like you no longer want to be a jerk or cheat on your wife or whatever yeah but that that doesn't mean that you sit in your house all day and not do anything that means that that's what i'm saying you're the perfect person that then goes and like helps other people because of your perfection exactly like like um ridding yourself of sin is only like one of many accesses of progress mm-hmm. there are so many more like for instance the yard work i'm doing sin doesn't play a part in whether or not i'm doing yard work like it's uh it's completely removed from the arena of like right and wrong from a religious spiritual perspective but it's still work that is either going to get done or not get done toward a specific goal Mm -hmm. it's still progress right you know what i'm saying like there's yeah there's there's no um nor would we ever want there to be a state at which progress had ceased because we had somehow reached a ceiling. Oh gosh, we life that, would be that's so miserable. <laughs> yeah, it'd be so miserable. Like, what would you do? You'd want no. to just at that point. It's like beating a video game. It's like it's disappointing. You're. It's like it's over. It's like when you get to the end of the Harry Potter books and you're like, I want more. Yeah, but there's. I've been given so much and now I want more. You know, you can't be happy with just like being done. Right. Uh, so I've thought about that multiple times where, well, I think about it a lot. Where it's like, man, if, if I had a million dollars or if I had won the lottery, and people sometimes think of that as like, I would just, I'd have it all. I'd, I'd be set. Mm-hmm. For me, winning the lottery is like allowing me to start a journey. Yes. Right? So like, if I were to win the lottery, what would I do with that money? I'm not saying like go buy things I want. I'm like saying, how do I like put that money to work? Or how do I use that to buy land, to build a house, to have a farm? Like I would be doing something with that. Yeah, it would give you the opportunities that you want to be able to start different things. A, that you a want new to journey, do. right? But it wouldn't guarantee success. No. It would give you the opportunity to either succeed or fail, it's, which is all you want. It's funny because some people say success is like being able to have enough money, right? Yeah. But when you win the lottery, Dude, are you successful? Yeah. No. You just have money in your bank account. It's what you do with that that then would determine whether you're successful or not. Right. I don't want to go on a rant here. Oh, let's hear it because <laughs> I've got a rant in the works for today. <laughs> There is a sickness about wealth hoarding. A sickness, dude. And it may be worse in Utah. It may be... Let me say this. I would say it's worse in wealthy communities. Okay, let's say that Utah doesn't have a ton of poverty when compared to other states and other regions of the United States. And then even less so than the world at large, right? Like, this is a... And I I get that, like, oh, yeah, well, in New York, like, you have wealth, like, you don't even, you never experience here. That's true. Like, there's tons of millionaires in New York and California. But here, just the general state of existence is fairly wealthy or upper middle class for a lot of people. But I swear there's, like, a sickness of people who just, they're obsessed with wealth hoarding. And it comes from this place of, like, maybe fear of like, I just need to know that like I'm taking care of. Like, it's like insurance against the fear. Like, I just want to know that I can't fail. 
Yeah. But that's, I think that's depriving life of all of its richness in a way. Sure. I think there's a, there's a, you could swing it too far the other direction. Obviously there's a balance to be had here, but I'm saying there is an imbalance of people who are like, I just need to make sure <coughs> every dollar I spend goes into the budget and I never spend it. And dude, money is made to be spent. Like the only sat, the only joy you can get out of money is when it is spent, and there is some. I guess there is sometimes that money provides a buffer for like emergencies or tragedies, yeah. and it's not necessarily enjoyable to spend that money. But knowing that you have it there reduces anxiety or fear, and I think to some degree that's that's very important too. So like, I don't. I think I might actually have to play devil's advocate here and disagree with you. That when you said like. That the joy in money comes when it's spent. Because I think for a lot of people in this like money hoarding culture, the joy of money is getting more money. It's it's the act of accumulating more wealth that they're just getting off on. And that could be, but that's a bastardization <laughs> of what money is designed yeah, to be. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with you in that sense, but I think that in this culture of just accumulate more wealth often it's not accumulating more wealth so that you can have more extravagant things it's accumulating more wealth to say you've accumulated more wealth it's like this desire to just have more and more like there's never enough right right a hundred million not enough make it a billion you know they just want more and more and more and i i definitely experienced the same thing i time and time again just want more Right, I want more money to be more comfortable or whatever. And we think we're just trying to get to the point where we can cover our bases, right? But yeah. really, as we earn more money, we make our bases bigger, right? We need to have two cars instead of one. We need to like have five bedrooms instead of three. You know, it just we just decide we need more and more as time goes on. But I'm almost condoning that. Yeah, I'm yeah, almost yeah. saying if you're going to make more money, then get the things you want with the money. For sure. Or if, if you're going to, yeah, like, to, to the point that you're making, it just seems like people are starting to value themselves based on the value of the currency they're making. Yeah. Which, I, maybe it makes sense, dude, because that's the world is telling you, this is what I value you for, and, and this is to what amount and then you intrinsically interpret that as okay my value is directly tied to this compensation the more of that that i can amass the more valued i'll feel hmm. i don't know dude all i know is i've heard people say oh i hate spending money i just don't effing get it like i very much the opposite i love spending money you know who doesn't hate spending money who the United States government. Yeah. Just throwing money out left and right. Sure. We've talked about this on the podcast before, of how much money the United States government, the treasury, just makes. Right? And it's kind of a scary thought to think we they're just making more money to pay for more things, really devaluing it in the process. And hopefully we don't hit a bubble and it just explodes on us and collapses. Do you know it would be fascinating, though, if it did collapse? What if we had to go back to a moneyless society? we just start bartering, trading? Like, obviously, yeah, we start bartering and trading. That would have a tremendously catastrophic impact, I realize, on every institution that exists right now. But more interesting than that, I'm interested to know, like, how disappointed would people be that they can no longer make money? Like, to what I was saying earlier about how we value ourselves and people who are tying their personal worth or value to a dollar amount. Mm. Like, I I feel like I could still be fine. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying I'm, like, a, a removed completely from, like, feelings of greed or wanting money. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't know. I think there's probably been a couple of countries who have experienced something similar to that where all of a sudden their money is worth nothing so you've had a bunch of money you've been saving up money in the bank and then all of a sudden 
that money will your twenty thousand dollars in the bank are gonna buy you a banana. You know, like something like that where it's just like <laughs> the the value of the currency just tanks. Yeah. And so it's it's happened in um Venezuela, for right, example. Right. Where like and there's there's a lot of depth to what's happening in, in Venezuela with corrupt government officials and whatnot. But the common person, their money just stopped being valuable for anything. Uh, and then you have to figure out how to make things work. How are you going to, how are you going to get food? Right. Yeah. In a place where your money now is no longer valuable. I don't want to see it happen. No, I, I like, I get it would, it would destroy every, like we're built and I don't think there's a problem with money. I think like it's such an efficient way of getting the things that we want. It's, it's so much, it allows us to do so many things that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, obviously. But it's like, you know, the, like the process of abstraction is where you get taken so many degrees away from something that you forget everything about the original intent Mm. of something and and this like whatever it's trans transformed into has a completely new form of its own it's so separated from the original content that's kind of like what i feel with money it's so abstracted from what it was actually designed to do and it's we have all these other um we've created like artificial value and things that maybe shouldn't have value yeah, and then we've infused it with all this other meaning that has nothing to do with what it was there for to begin with. And it's just its own thing now. Like, it's its own creature, you know? Yeah. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's, it's kind of almost impossible to take it back to the original. Yeah, meaning. completely impossible. Unless you were to start a compound somewhere. Maybe a cult. A new country. And you just yeah, you isolate and you just, you have your people... And you start over from scratch. I was actually thinking about this. I was like, it would be kind of cool to be in a cult. Like a, yeah. I don't know if it has to have any religious or sexual component, but just a tight-knit group that goes and separates and starts over. Like, we'll call it Colt 440. Colt 440. Sounds like a gun. A Colt 440. (laughs) Yes. Definitely sounds like some sort of firearm. I don't know, man. Okay, so... To keep us moving here. Keep us moving. Talking about money. Talking about the U.S. government. The U.S. government sent $1.4 billion to dead people. Oh, is this real? This is real. I read this headline, but then I wondered, it was is that like, real? It was like 1.1 million people, uh, dead people, were sent stimulus checks um, during the stimulus period. Uh, and now the government's trying to get it back, right? They want to make sure that People aren't spending that money. Maybe your grandma got a check and you decided to cash it for her. Did it go out in the form of checks? Some people got it in checks, yeah. Some people got money in their direct deposit account. Because maybe your grandma's dead, but she still has a bank account. Yeah, you manage or something? I guess. Or you're a co-signer on it. Mm. So her her, uh, stimulus check, direct deposit, right in your bank account. Anyway, do you feel like the government should be able to take that money, be like, oh, you got to give that back? That's weird. I mean, if it's already been spent, how are they going to get it back? Right? They're not going to get it back. But it's the IRS. Some of the... They could just come after yeah, you. True. Or they just charge it to you on your taxes. <sighs> I don't know what they would do. But all I know is that sounds very tedious. That's got to be a mess for somebody. Somebody's going into work today like, oh my gosh, I got to get this sorted out. I'm going to be on the phone with banks all day trying to figure out. I think the IRS, the federal government is trying to get the states to help out with it somehow. I don't yeah. know how you fig- how you resolve that issue. Well, um, didn't they? Like, there was supposed to be a lot of oversight with the money. Mm-hmm. But then I heard that the oversight committee or whatever was created to make sure everything was addressed properly got disbanded or something like that yeah, the president I don't know. decided to just get rid of some of that those things that were promised um and he's been like that's not necessary and then we run into these who kind needs of oversight who needs oversight right they've also sent checks to prisoners and asking for that money back from 
prisoners who got the money. What? How do you get access to money if you're in prison? Well, I mean, you still have a bank account, right? But you can't check it. But, but you're just sitting there when you get you back. You got a direct deposit. You filed taxes last year, mm. but you got sent to prison this year for something terrible. And now you got $1,400 in your bank account. Huh. Yeah. So hmm. we generally overpay the government, right? In our taxes. And, right. And then at the end of the year, you get a tax return. Right. Actually, it's been a long time since I got a tax return. <laughs> it's coming for you one of these years. One of these years, I'm going to get some money back. Uh, instead of having to owe more. But it's kind of similar to what the government is now trying to do, where they've overpaid the U.S. populace, and now they're wanting a tax return from the U.S. populace, right? These dead people or prisoners who they overpaid. So huh? It would be it would be kind of wrong of us to say they can't have that money back, but then when we overpay them, we demand that they give our money back. Yeah. But I also, mean, they're supposed to be the adult in right, the room. Right, right. Come on. They're supposed to be the like governing authority and take care of those types of things. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. How much money we spend on dead people and yeah. prisoners? Wait, how much was it? One point four billion. One point four billion to one point one million dead people, and I don't know how much money they sent to prisoners. Mm. Uh, but how do you also keep track of that? Is there a database where is like as soon as you die? The U.S. government knows that you're dead. There's got to be. There has to be. Where? A dead database. There's a dead database? I feel like that's more of like a state level or a community oh, level. Um, but for the federal government to know to like stop sending you social security or to stop uh, Dude. requesting your taxes. And How stuff crazy like is like data? How much data there is? And then... Are we feel that like it, in times like this, it's very useful to have the data to be able to tell who's dead, so we don't send them money. Yeah. So we hang on to all the data in case we might need it. But then we just have all this data. When do we throw it away? I feel like we're we're turning into data hoarders. <laughs> Maybe. I'm going into hoarding a lot. Hoarding uh, is interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's a big opportunity for some like identity theft. But you're stealing the identities of dead people, right? So you find somebody who died last year. They were 94 when they died. This year they would have been 95. And you assume the role of that person. Somehow you find their social, social security number. And no one's the wiser, right? There's no Frank... Somebody did this. The oldest lady in the world. And they found out it was a fraud. She had like inhabited the identity of some other woman. Oh, she wasn't actually as old as she claimed. I think... What's the point of claiming you're old? She was the oldest woman in the world. <laughs> I'm pretty she sure she was a fraud. She wanted to just have her name in the Guinness Book of World Records. But it wasn't even her name. It was the name of the lady she is. But it was her picture. Ah. So is your identity tied to your to what you look like or to Absolutely. your name? Absolutely. Mm. So you could change your name. doesn't matter. But it's who you are that matters. What you look very like. Profound. What you look like. Very profound. Uh, your retina scan, your fingerprint. Anyway, um, thought that was interesting. Uh, Trump has said that the biggest scandal of our time is going to be voting by mail. Oh. Do you feel like there's an issue with voting by mail? I don't know anything about it. Here's what I think. Have you ever voted by mail? I've never voted. Oh, gosh dang it, another one of my friends that's never voted. Never Are you going to vote this year, Carter? Yeah, I'm going to vote this year. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to vote this year. And also, we should just invite all of our listeners to vote. And also, we should just invite all of our listeners to call in and tell us who they're voting for. We'll do a poll with our 20 listeners, and we'll know who the president's I want be. them all on the record. No, I don't really care. Uh, Vote.gov. Just go there, sign up to vote. Register to vote, and then, uh, I mean, you might even be able to vote by mail. Utah is moving to an all-mail voting system. Hmm. Women are left out. All-mail. <laughs> that was a good joke. That was good. Did you come up with that? Uh, just that got me. Uh, so all the votes will be by uh, postal service this year. Oh. Um, there will not be no in-person voting. That sounds very easy for me. 
I'm in. That seems, it sounds easy, right? Yeah. But there's going to be fraud according to Trump. Oh, okay. Um, all of the states are coming out saying, like, there's no way that there would be mass fraud with how we do uh, mail-in voting. But he's continuing to claim that it'll be a big scandal. It's probably just covering his base, so if he loses, he can say, like, I told you so. Right. That's right? what... It's just But if he wins, it'll be plan. like... It'll be out of picture. He did this when he won the election in 2016. Did he? he yeah, he kept saying things like, this election's a fraud, oh, like, yeah. everything's... What did he keep saying? The line was... And it ended up being a fraud the other way. Right. But it kind of just got swept under the rug. Right. He kept... In, like, anticipation for what might have been a disappointment, he had already baked in all the excuses prior to him winning. Like, you can go back and watch, like, a lot of his quotes and things that he said because he was making a big, big fuss about it. Yeah, uh, why can't we vote on our phones? Why can't we just see that's like a vote be on a my phone? Fraud there, right? Maybe blockchain. Why don't, you, why don't we figure out the technology of this? I think there's what? definitely potential for good technology. Our government definitely has not invested the money into that. We couldn't do that this year. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We could maybe do it in four or eight years uh, and have the right technology put in place. The government could start spending a lot more money on that than some other things. Here's what I want to know. What happens? I genuinely want to know this. Who is... The president, who are the congressmen and women, if everyone who can vote votes. Oh, do you get what right, I'm saying? Right. So, if everyone votes that is allowed to vote, who actually becomes. Who is actually leading the country? Oh, this could be a very controversial topic. When everyone who can and is eligible to vote votes, and then philosophically. Should those people, are those people the rightful elected mm. leaders? Or, if you don't vote, you sacrifice any control you have in democracy. You know, I've heard it all. At what point is the responsibility on the bad process, not the bad people? And, even if people don't vote, because they're, you know, bad, like me, bad boy, um... I just wonder, like, what is the alternate universe in which we have different leaders because everybody who voted, who could have voted, voted. Yeah. I think that's, like, I think the voting process in our country is a bro. It's not a perfect system, right? I would, I would venture to say it's a broken system. There are many things that are wrong with it. One of them being educating voters about who's who, what each person actually believes, and not claiming to just vote Democrat just because they're a Democrat, right? There's importance in actually knowing who you're voting for. Then there's the whole electoral college, which poof, we could probably spend a whole episode on that because like, look at the last election where Hillary Clinton clearly won the popular vote, but lost the electoral college and therefore Trump became president. Do you think that Republicans will ever win the electoral or the popular vote? Again? Yes. In so, history? So I, I was curious about this the other day, so I looked it up. Um, what did I Google? I Googled something like, which presidents won electoral college and not um, popular vote? And it's happened twice recently with George W. Bush and yeah, Trump. Gore. The last two Republican presidents did not win the popular vote. But it, hasn't, it didn't happen before that. For a long time. Are you doing it up right there? Yeah, Donald Trump lost popular vote, but won the electoral college. Um, George Bush in two thousand four, he just won. The first time. Yep, and then in two thousand eight. Wait, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Lost popular vote, but won the electoral college. George Bush in two thousand. So in 2000, he won the, the Electoral College, but lost the popular vote. But then in 2004, he just won outright. Yeah. Who did he run against in 2004? Uh, John Kerry? Was, was it Gore then? I think or was Gore it was the one that he lost the popular vote. Yeah. 
George. So I, I definitely think, I think we've probably had two times now that the Republicans have won. Well, no, just Donald Trump. John, John Kerry. And then the time before that, George well, W. Bush won. So the only the time, time before that, he won the Electoral College, but not the popular vote. So the only time a Republican since 2000. Actually, let's go back further because we had a. Uh, Bill Clinton for two terms prior to George Bush. So since 1992, the Republicans have only won the popular vote once. Yeah. And that was in 2004. George Bush's re-election. Yep. During the middle of the war, still post 9-11 sentiment. Since 1992. It's almost 30 years. Well, before... Bill Clinton, though, he had George H.W. Bush. But that was from 88 to 92. And oh, he, but see, he he lost the popular vote, but won the Electoral College in 2000. That was George, oh, that was George w. w. Where's H.W.? He's here. So did, he, did H.W. Bush only do one term? He only term? served one term from uh, 88 to 92. Well, these are like all out of order. And Bill Clinton won both his terms outright. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm saying. Obama so, won outright as oh, well, yeah. right? Obama won yep. both times. So that's why since 1992, the Republicans have only won the popular vote one time with an incumbent candidate, George W. Bush, 2004, after 9-11, after one of the most galvanizing moments in U.S. history, in the middle of a war. What? In the last 30 years? Yeah. This is why, okay, this is why the Electoral College is not going anywhere. That's why right there. In 30 years, one of the main parties in a two-party system has won the popular vote once. That's why the Electoral College isn't going away. Which should be really a testament to the opposite, that it should go away, right? It would be a huge imbalance of power. That's why it won't go away. Saying that twice of the three times that Republicans have have been in the presidential seat, right? Two of those three times, they didn't win the popular vote. Yeah. That seems wrong, right? Well, to, depends to how constitutional people. you want to get with all this. Yeah, so that's like saying... I, here's, here's I, I struggle thing. with the Electoral College. I struggle with anything that's like 300 years old that we haven't revisited <laughs> with today's like yeah. new logic. Like, daylight savings time... There's no practical use anymore for it. There was at one point. Why are we hanging on to it? There's like now all these mental health studies that like it's not only not good, it's like deteriorating people's mental health. Yeah. Why do we hang on to the stuff that the reason for it is what I'm saying like with abstraction, like we get so far away from the original intent of something. We just hang on to it blindly. Let's grab some of that watermelon juice. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I don't know. I believe in innovation. I believe in revisiting, like, its outcomes. It's not just... We're, we're trying to achieve outcomes. We're not just trying to achieve processes. Yeah. We thought that the last election was divisive and, you know, people were getting kind of crazy. This year is going to be so much worse, I think. You think so? Yeah. Do you think, I think there's any way Donald Trump wins the popular vote? I have no idea, dude. Part of me wants to say... I, I really thought Trump was going to win, but now part of me wants to say, I don't know if Trump's going to win. So, he didn't win the last popular vote. I think there's no way he's going to be in a better position this year to win the popular vote than he did last time. Right? I'm inclined to agree with you. But I don't want to say he's not going to win the Electoral College. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I can say that yet. Yeah. Right? It's going to take a few states like Utah or some other moderate states to turn blue. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I think the best strategy is for Democrats? Is, and I think they've been doing it kind of inadvertently because of COVID and everything. Keep is, quiet. Yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> Just be out of the line. And specifically with your candidate. Oh, man. He's like, rough, dude. But, but here's the thing. Just 
Let him like he's a just let him fade. Just don't let him talk. <laughs> don't let him talk because ultimately the energy that is kind of really captured a lot of people with the protests and just a lot of the discussions going on politically is around change and it almost feels like without having a face for a candidate change like the the strongest message is just change will be change no is the trump movement yeah change would be no trump and then when you when but then when you attach Joe Biden to it, it's like change is Joe Biden. It's not as strong. No, like it's stronger not. to say change is no Trump or change is the Democratic Party. Yeah, right? there you go. Like that's where we're sitting at right now, where it's like we need to vote in the Democratic Party because the Republican Party is Trump. Yeah, that's their best messaging though, and I think the more they attach Joe <laughs> Biden to it, the worse it gets. I think you're right. I I don't like Joe Biden. I'll be honest. I don't like him. He's. I a, bet he's a fine old man. I don't know if he is. Maybe he's I not. think he's a creep. He smells people. He <laughs> likes... I smell my fingers. I kind of relate. But, um, anyway, I think like uh, it'll be... It's going to be a messy election again. I don't think Trump hates Joe Biden as much as he hated Hillary Clinton. So I don't... He'll attack That's him. That's because Joe Biden hasn't... Like the Democratic Party hasn't let that happen. Joe Biden's been in the shadow, which, like you said, has been the smart strategy. That is him. smart, too, because Trump is strongest when he's attacking somebody. Mm -hmm. He's strongest as a candidate. Like, I was talking to Corbin about somebody, this. somebody, not some party. Yeah, somebody. He's very strong when he's combative. Yeah. Like, surprisingly, actually, maybe not surprisingly, his whole TV show is kind of built around this premise. He's like, when he can get up there and shoot straight from the hip in really hyperbolic aggressive language that's when he gets the most support because there's something about that that people look up to and it they view it as strength and they view it as leadership but when he's got no no one to really point those arrows at and he's just sounding off his rails it doesn't seem as much like leadership it seems like a man unraveling yeah but when he can get really direct about it, and I think this is what he did successfully with Hillary Clinton, he got so direct with his attacking that it it seemed like, yeah, maybe this guy... For a lot of people, they probably really... That really resonated with them. But I was talking to Corbin about how I can't wait till the day... I hope this happens in my lifetime. I hope this happens in the next 20 years where a third-party candidate wins the right. presidency. I cannot effing wait i don't uh, like do you think it will happen well i pray it happens do you pray it happens but do you think it will happen it could i think it will eventually happen yes because technology is going to erode the traditional power structure which is a lot around money campaign financing that kind of thing and i think technology is already making getting your name out so much more accessible. Definitely. I look at somebody like Andrew Yang, and this was in the Joe Rogan podcast, but Andrew Yang became pretty ubiquitous. Everyone knew him. He was on SNL bits. He was like, he was just one of the candidates that a lot of people knew. Yeah. And it wasn't, he didn't have very much money behind him compared to some of the other candidates. One thing that I found very respectable in the primary, the Democratic primary was how many of those candidates refused to take money from PACs? Yeah. Um, Tulsi Gabbard was yeah. one of those. Uh, there was a couple, maybe a few, that refused to take money from, from big PACs and maybe only took Pete it from... Maybe Pete Buttigieg did that. Maybe. He kind of came late to the game. I don't know. Um, yeah. No, I think that's good. Yeah, I think, it, I think that that's true. Like As we move away from traditional um, campaigns... We might find it more likely that a third party candidate. I've only ever voted for a third party candidate in the presidential yeah. election, uh, but that being said, I don't know about this year. Four years ago, I struggled so much with the idea of we're voting for one person because they're not as bad as the other. Yeah, that was what a lot of people were saying about Trump. They're like, I'm just voting for Trump because he's not Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton's a liar and a criminal. And, you know, they were saying all these things and they're like, that's why I'm voting for Trump. Not because Trump was a good candidate, but because he was the less of the worst candidates. Yeah. The little, 
he was least bad. Right. Um, and I think we're running into the same exact thing this year on the other side. Right. Where people are going to say, I'm voting for Joe Biden because he's not Donald Trump. Yeah. But this is what I was talking to Corbin about. I was like, the parties have shown they're just terrible at choosing candidates. Just terrible. They're so bad at it. Like, on the but left... Is it even the parties, or is it just, like, we, the general... The, it's the system that's set it's up... It's the process it's the, the parties process. use, yeah. and then we are the end result of the process who we select. But what I'm saying is we turn it into a reality show with all the stupid debates... We ask them all these hypothetical questions that will have no bearing in reality when they get in office. Like we, we scrutinize their past record with policies they've enacted and all this stuff. And we don't ever question like, does that matter? If somebody had done something in their past that was a bad policy and because they made that mistake, they've learned never to do something mm -hmm. like that again, better or worse than somebody brand new who has no past record and hasn't screwed up because they just have no experience. Like, yeah. We are bad. It's the, the cancel culture, dude. It's cancel culture and it's the way that it all gets framed in the yeah. media that obviously incites a certain response from us and we start saying, oh my gosh, that's terrible. We can't vote for that person. They did this thing. We don't think about, like, what is the person's actual job as president? Mm -hmm. Is it to just write laws? Is that what they're doing all day, just writing laws? Or is it somebody that you, like, you generally want to have somebody up there that you can trust they have a good head on their shoulders and can empower the right people and they're good communicators. Or is it to be a, a cable personality? Yeah, maybe it's just somebody to entertain us. That's what Trump is. Sure. He's just there as a personality. But have we like thought about it and talked about it as a country? Yeah. Like we haven't really thought. Have we ever talked about how influential is the president actually when it comes to things getting done? in government. Hmm. I've always wondered this. Does the president have more impact on law or less impact on law than we pretend they do? And then, as an extension to that, does the president have more impact on culture or less impact on culture than we pretend they do? If the president, like, actually has pretty little impact on law because that's more Congress and we kind of just think of the president as the catch-all guy then maybe we should elect a president less on policy, less on law, and more on, like, what kind of culture they're going to form. Like, if Trump was the, your cultural candidate, you'd be saying, like, I want a guy who's going to teach my children to be really brash and abrasive and, like, treat well, women a certain and way. And I think it also plays, like, you have to think of what is the international view now of the United States because of Trump. Yeah. Right? Is there, do we have waning relationships with these other countries because they find it impossible to work with our president because there is a lot of the president does a lot of work in international relations and you know wars and, and stuff like that um and i think that like having somebody who can who's good in that position is important yeah i think you're and then with the argument going on about police defund the police which Aside from what some people make it sound like, it's just like cancel all police. And maybe some actually do believe that. I think generally the gist is the police have all these responsibilities. Some of them they shouldn't have. And it's putting too much of a burden on them. Mm -hmm. Like there's too much on their plate. It's causing them to be bad at their job. And then they don't have enough training. There's all these problems. So if we reallocate funding and maybe start some specialized organizations or government programs that can help with like mental health crises or a lost dog or something like mm -hmm. that. The police don't have to respond to all that. They can mostly just respond to, uh, you know, high level uh, crime, crime and dangerous situations. And then we're actually sending in the people who are supposed to be there when that kind of stuff happens. Um, could the same thing, could the same case be made for the president? Does the president have too many responsibilities? Are we empowering one individual too much? And if we are, would we ever think about like becoming more granular in the type of person that we elect? Cause it, geez, it seems to be like a cultural revolution. Every new president we elect. Yeah. Do we like that? Do we want that? We could change that. Like, we well, could make it less important. Do we make it seem like they're more important than they actually are? That's what I'm wondering. Because I don't know if they actually, like, you're saying, like, maybe we're giving them too much power, but maybe we're pretending like they have more power than they actually have. But that, these are, like, these are all the questions I have. 
But I think that a lot of times the power of the president comes from his like position, right? It's it's a position of influence. Which we've given to them. Yes, yes, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. Like it is a powerful position because not because he can, you know, enact all these laws and go to war. It's a powerful position because he is seen as the head of in this case, the head of the Republican Party, and you, if you're a Republican, you better be do- on board with whatever he says. Yeah. If you're a Republican congressman, you better be doing what Trump says, or else, you know, everyone's going to attack you. Right. That's where all of his power is, is at. He's able to manipulate the Congress people who we've all voted to be there to do what he wants. Right. It's not that he has the power to enact these laws. It's that he has the power to influence the people who are going to enact right. the laws. I've heard that called the bully pulpit, which is basically sure. he just gets up there and bully everyone around. Like everyone else in the government gets bullied by the president, so they start doing what the president wants them to do. Yeah. You see that with his How cabinet. How respectable are those who have fought against that? I, I'm talking about like Mitt Romney. Dude, I, I mean... I, I have so much respect for that guy right now because of how much he's like not allowed Trump and the Republican Party to push him around, and he stuck to his morals and his values. John McCain was the same exact yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mitt Romney, like, filled the shoes of John McCain in almost a literal sense. Yeah. Like, John McCain died, Mitt Romney realized there's no thorn in the side of the Republican Party, and there's all these, like, loyalists, like, fanboys, or a lot of them are seeming to be that way. He's like, forget that. He's clearly a guy with... Some moral constitution. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I respect it. But dude, I just like... I thought this was always the the platform of the Republican Party too, which was a platform I was super on board with, which was like, reduce the size and power of federal government. And I could think of no more obvious way to do so than reduce the powers of the President of the Mm. United States. Like... Make the president matter less. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're not in a crisis when we elect the wrong guy. But then I wonder, that's not what we want. We are addicted to the entertainment that is politics. And a lot of it is revolving around the president. Like I really do think we've been conditioned. I don't know if it's by media, if it's just our own doing, to want everything to be as big of a deal as possible. That's drama. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to be less of a big deal. We want it to be a bigger deal, and we want to win. Mm-hmm. It's like a sports game. You don't want a sports game to matter less. You want it to matter more. Yeah, and you want to win. You just need the right outcome. Yeah. And when you don't get it, then like the sky's falling. But it's like that seems like a tough way to live. Like I don't know how sustainable that is. That's what I wonder. That's my last thought. Oof. I have so many thoughts going through my head right now of how... If- how political parties have kind of flip-flopped where, you know, like you said, Republicans have said, like, we want to have less government. And it seems that, like, this, even with, like, the defund police, it's the opposite, right? Where Republicans are saying, like, we need to have more power in these cities, in these states, um, whereas the Democratic Party is saying, like, hey, let's pump the brakes with uh, our police and whatnot. It, it's funny to me how there's some kind of flip-flops that are happening there. Um, okay, last little thing I had was, uh, today's very political. I hope people don't hate this. Uh, but about COVID and wearing masks. Ah, wearing masks. Yeah, so right now, um, the state of Utah, we're encouraged to wear masks, but nobody's forcing us to wear masks. Right. The mayor of Salt Lake has said that she would like to make it mandatory to wear masks in public in Salt Lake. And I've read through some of the Twitter comments on there, and people are very upset, saying, like, you know, we're giving up our liberties. What's next? You know, like, they're going to make us wear masks now? What are they going to do next? And I got to thinking more about, like, what other things we've been forced to do and wear right. in order for, like, the public safety. I think, like, seatbelts. Is an example where... I saw a meme about seatbelts. Did you? Yeah, it was like... It was basically what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, just like... There are certain things that have been put in place, and it's not to take away our liberties. It's to keep people safe, and it it's hard for me to hop on board with the people who are like, I'm not wearing a mask because it's my right. 
This is why I do feel like you're like eliciting all these rants. Yeah, I haven't that's necessarily. My, that's my whole role on my whole <laughs> role on this podcast is to just elicit rants. I feel like Carter. I'm not articulating myself very well, but people, I think people become over principled. Mm-hmm. Over principle. Everything is based on principle and not logic. Nothing is based on actual reality. It's just we're having these metaphorical principle-driven debates on every little issue. This is something when you get married, if you don't figure out how to overcome, you're going to have a shitty marriage. <laughs> like straight up. If, you, if you're going to base every little thing on principle, like... You're going to have a lot of fights with your life. Like, at a certain point, not every action somebody makes is a reflection of their underlying principles. Sometimes they just act, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, we're making every little thing about principle. And we think everything is a slippery slope. So if they take this thing, who knows what they'll take next? Like, we love that fallacy. You're using all the words that this person responded to the Salt Lake City Mayor with. Oh, really? The tweet says, Government shouldn't demand we wear something. Slippery slope. If a private business wants to demand it, Sure. But, uh, but to say I'm required to do so, if we give all these liberties away, where does it end? Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying, though. It's like we want to, like, stir up more fear and crisis into this small thing that actually exists because of principle. Yeah. Because of principle. But then, like, objectively look at the thing we're looking at. Not a big deal. Just not a big deal. So easy to put on a mask. I, I love Bill Burr on Joe Rogan's podcast because Joe's oh, like yeah. lamenting putting on masks and Bill Bill's like, it's not hard, dude. It's not hard. I just wake up in the morning, I watch the TV. Am I wearing a mask today? Am I not wearing a mask today? Okay, cool. I'm wearing a mask. Like, all you have to do is just like, what do you want me to get? What, what do you guys want me to do? He's like, it's called being considerate. It's really not hard. That, I love, he's an anti-alarmist. This is my best way to describe Bill Burr. An anti-alarmist. Like, everyone's trying to... St- inject drama as much of it as possible into every little everyday situation like they're exaggerating and becoming experts in hyperbole and he's like no nothing's that big of a deal we'll get through everything it's all gonna be fine and occasionally we're gonna be uncomfortable like i some people will say that's dangerous like you'll never see hitler coming if you have that kind of lifestyle like Maybe, but at the same time, if you're if your um, knee jerk to everything is to just get all enraged, yeah, dude, you're gonna you're gonna take years off your life. At a certain point, there were people living through horrific things that have happened through history, whether it's whether it's the Holocaust or whether it's Russia during the USSR, and they still. Even though things were awful, they like they just lived their life. Like there were still people having enjoyable lives because yeah. they didn't get so hung up on like our government's running us into the ground. Like at a certain point, they just stepped back and said, "This chowder is really good." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's it's uh, like I think the word triggered is used sometimes. You said enraged. Um, I think it probably comes down to it's about the same thing. You become triggered by something that you disagree with. And, you know, four years ago, you would say, like, the right-wing people are saying, the left-wing, the social justice warriors are just getting triggered by me saying that there are only two genders, right? Right. And today, you could say the right-wing people are getting triggered by saying wear a mask. Right. Uh, which is pretty sad. Like, like you said, like Bill Burr, kind of an anti-alarmist, well, we're going to get through this, it's going to be okay, just put a mask on, it's going to help everyone, we're going to get through this quicker if you do it. Uh, yeah, I think what he has no tolerance for is, like, people complaining mm. about anything. <laughs> about anything. He's, he's, a, he's kind of a good uh, counterpart to Joe Rogan in that sense. Yeah. Because Joe Rogan can, he can get fired up about some stuff. Right. And I think in that podcast he did, I actually didn't. Uh, watch it but i just heard a lot usually joe is able to like entertain these like wild conspiracy theories or like did you hear about like the government was trying to cover up the like and his guests will play along usually and bill burr just kind of dismisses some of that stuff he's like dude because they're such good friends he's able to do that yeah and joe like reacted really like 
he didn't get defensive or anything. I think he kind of realized he was going off on these He caught a lot of flack for that podcast, too. Um, really? Joe did. And yesterday I was listening to a podcast he had with a gun rights activist, and he kind of... I wouldn't say he apologized for what he said, but he explained himself in better context, uh, which I think was helpful, but then he just went on another rant after that. <laughs> it was like apologize and then continue digging in deep. Um, we should probably end this podcast. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, this has been a great podcast. Lots of things to talk about. Um, hopefully it wasn't too political for our friends out there. Uh, wear a mask when you're out in public, people. And... Don't forget to vote. If you go to vote.gov, register to vote, and uh, this fall you can try and make a difference. Slurp it up! Slurp it up!